welcome you to Suavitas High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummet. Welcome to another episode of Suavitas High, a podcast about leadership. This is Richard Lummet. I'm here with Tom Fox, another discussion on how to improve our leadership skills by learning from others, drawing lessons from many sources, including history, fiction, film, and business writing. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. We're recording this during award season, so today's podcast is a continuation of our ongoing series, Extracting Leadership Lessons from Award-Winning Movies. Today we're going to discuss the 1981 Best Picture Oscar-winning movie, Chariots of Fire. Most of us, at least of a certain age, remember the soundtrack by Vangelis. Uh, the title comes from William Blake's poem, Jerusalem, from which we also get the phrases dark satanic mills and England's green and pleasant land. The basic plot follows two British runners in their path to the 1924 Paris Olympics. One, Harold Abrahams, is the son of a Lithuanian Jew slash London financier, studying at Cambridge to become a lawyer. The other, Eric Liddell, is the China-born Scottish son of a Christian missionary. Two key plot points are that Abraham hires Sam Mussolini, a half-Italian, half-Arab professional coach, to improve his performance. And Liddell refuses to run on the Sabbath when the godless frogs have scheduled the heats for the 100 meters. So, Tom, where shall we start? What lessons do you think we can learn from these athletes from a bygone era? Well, Richard, uh, first of all, um, it's great to be back with our uh, best picture or leadership lessons from uh, from the Oscars during the Oscar season. So I'm glad we could uh, do that again this year. But I really, uh, in researching this movie, I found quite a bit of uh, leadership lessons. And the two, the three main characters that uh, you mentioned from *Chariots of Fire* uh, represented actually three different types of leadership. Uh, the first, Eric Liddell, uh, clearly charismatic. Uh, in many of the scenes, uh, particularly the first half of movie scenes, uh, showed Liddell uh, preaching um, uh, to crowds after races, before races, uh, giving testimony, uh, a level of humility where he would uh, not only work with children but uh, uh, give autographs and uh, help them out. Uh, he preached in churches, talked about uh, things that were important to him, which was his, his mission as he sought to spread the word of God. Then we had uh, Harold Abrams. And Harold, uh, I think the day's phrase would be, he's wound a little tight. <laughs> and uh, there are some great lines mm -hmm. in here. Uh, first, uh, from Sam Musabini, um, that uh, says a uh, uh, hundred yard dash, which what Abrams ran is a short sprint <clears throat> run on nerves. It's tailor made for neurotics. And uh, Mr. Abrams was definitely a neurotic. Nevertheless, he uh, sustained a very uh, large transformation and truly became a, a transformational leader because of uh, the innate drive he had. And finally, Sam Musabini. Um, was the professional coach hired by Abrams. And uh, Musubini uh, was a different type of leader. He was a very direct, directive leader. And so I found uh, leadership lessons from, from each one of those, and perhaps you know, we can unpack them sort of one at a time, starting with uh, Liddell. So he uh, really probably had the most God-given talent of anyone portrayed in the movies. And he ran because he loved running, and he loved running, uh, period. And he uh, really seemed to uh, um, 
uphold or uh, em uh, embody the Olympic motto of situus altius and fortius, which transfers and translates to swifter, higher, stronger, which became the Olympic motto in uh, <clears throat> 1924. And his uh, racing scenes early on uh, demonstrated a level of not only ability and commitment, but uh, as a leader, Liddell possessed a outstanding emotional emotional intelligence. He was self-aware. He was good at understanding not only what motivated himself, but what motivated others. And uh, that went to both his ministry, his working with children, and within his family, as he would talk to family members who questioned his uh, devotion to their missionary work uh, in light of his running, where he tied both together and explained them in a way that allowed at least him to try and articulate a reason for both. Also, he had a high level of self-management, uh, certainly training uh, in a key race uh, scene. He was knocked down by a French runner and uh, stood up and uh, not only caught the pack after uh, cleaning himself off, but also uh, won the race. And in the research I saw, the people who actually saw that uh, found that to be one of the greatest races they'd ever seen, just basically on the raw determination of Eric Liddell. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And then, <clears throat> actually, I want to address a, a, a very minor character who is uh, Lindsay. I'm not sure if he was he held the uh, the title yet, but he was either a lord, the son of a lord. The one scene he's running the hurdles uh, <laughs> yes. to improve his form with glasses of champagne balanced on each hurdle. Um, but at the climactic scene where Liddell refuses to run in the heats on Sunday, with this impasse, the head of the British Olympic Committee has tried to convince the French to change it, uh, hoping to play off their debt to England from the Great War and their innate unscrupulousness, and uh, failed. The Prince of Wales, uh, later Edward VIII, um, also tries to convince Liddell, and he stands firm. And the only thing that broke the impasse was when Lindsay steps up and says, well, I've, I've already won a silver medal. Why don't you take my place in the 400? So that's sort of a sacrificial form of leadership, which I, we've never really discussed. You know, you're absolutely right, and that's a great point. Um, first of all, though, uh, I once upon a time tried to run the hurdles, and actually <laughs> uh, we put pennies on them. To uh, That's how you could tell if, if, you were, uh, if you'd hit a hurdle. So um, I, the I think that probably and probably knowing your you 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 would also prefer to have your uh, uh, lead servant uh, there <laughs> lining it up for you. But of course, but of course, and then having a a nice cool refresher, if not the, running them. Yes, if not running them for you. So, um, but for uh, in that scene um, uh, or, or the climactic scene when they're trying to make the determination of uh, when and which race Liddell will race in, I think a key leadership point was at some points, sometimes you just have to firmly say, I'm not going to compromise. Yeah. And he wouldn't compromise. And that led to, uh, it was Lord Lucan. Uh, Lindsay became Lord Lucan. Um, actually, he was Lord Lucan during the movie, so he must have uh, gotten the title when his father passed away. Uh, he made the uh, decision to sacrifice his racing in the uh, 400 because uh, Lindsay was uh, Liddell rather was going to race in the hundred, so it's a great point. We haven't really focused on sacrificial leadership, um, and maybe we should take that up. But uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up was that um, uh, Eric um, 
Liddell really uh, exemplified a couple of other things in a, uh, where we got to the don't compromise, but also he saw, uh, contrasting with Abram, he saw the race in the bigger picture. Whether you call it life as a race, whether a race or one particular even major project to you is just one step. And uh, it took me a long time to learn that. You know, it's not the... Uh, it's not the destination, it's the journey. And whereas Abram really focused on the destination for him was the end of the race. And uh, whether he won or lost, most particularly if he won, but also if he lost, that was going to be a destination for him as well. And Liddell saw it as one extension of, of his ministry, but it was a much longer picture. And he was able to see a bigger picture and to utilize his native talents or God-given talents as a runner into uh, what he viewed as his true calling, which was his ministry. Yeah, I'd also like to address another sort of subplot, which was Abraham's um, adoption of the professional approach. And at one point he says, uh, it's, it's a very interesting scene where the fellows of Keyes College in Cambridge are arguing that by you know, hiring a professional coach, he's tainted the amateur ideal. And his point is that, yeah, you think everybody's supposed to win, it's supposed to be effortless. Um, and it's certainly supposed to look effortless. But he says, that's not the way it works. I'm doing this the hard way. I've got a coach, and I'm going to carry the future with me, I think is his phrase. And the Americans also uh, come in, and they're kind of uh, scorned because they have a, a more or less professional training approach as well. Um, and so you have these two uh, opposing worldviews of the amateur ideal, which in theory, governs the Olympics versus the professionalism that the movie kind of presents as taking over the world. And um, so I guess in that sense, Abrahams also represents a, um, a long-term view of the world. You know, let me start with that uh, to talk about Abrams, uh, because you're absolutely right in the scene where uh, Sir John Gielgud plays one of the uh, fellows of uh, his college, I think Cassius College, uh, Cambridge. And the quote you have is, is absolutely correct. And uh, Abram's reaction to it really revealed something to me, which is in his innovative way of thinking. And he recognized that even with as much talent as he had, his innate talent, he needed a professional coach to take him to another level. And uh, uh, I'd highlighted that quote as well, where he said, I believe the, in the pursuit of excellence and I'll carry the future with me. And uh, I'd really focus on the first part of that, not the second part. And in the pursuit of excellence, he needed uh, additional uh, technical skills. Uh, I don't think it was really a, a technical approach or technology, rather, but it was greater technical skills in his training. And um, but Abrams, as I said, was he was wound pretty tight, and he um, uh, he had a lot of inner de demons. In the movie, it was presented as being a stranger in a strange land, the son of a, a Jewish immigrant in a largely uh, Anglo-Christian uh, 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 environment. Nevertheless, uh, he really internalized the running to define him as opposed to Liddell. And at one point, he and Liddell raced, and he lost to Liddell. And he was going to quit because he said he only raced to win. And if he didn't... Um, when he had no desire to race. 
And that's a pretty destructive attitude. It's a destructive attitude personally, and it's certainly a destructive attitude, I think, for a leader. And fortunately, that, of course, is the the low point for him in the movie. So you know from from your screenwriting classes, you're two-thirds of the way through, the protagonist is his low ebb, and he's about to come back. And sure enough, Sam Musabini says, Mr. Abrams, I could find you another two steps. And so they start their professional relationship. But there was a couple of other things that struck me about the – uh, really, um, nature of Abrams uh, in terms of occasionally you have to put your foot down and not compromise. And uh, one of those in this, I think, in the same scene where he was confronted at uh, Cassius College, Cambridge, by the college fellows when they accused him of utilizing a professional coach and that he had lost the true amateur idea. And you spoke about it in terms of uh, one of the conflicts in the movie of amateur versus professionalism. And his response was, I am a Cambridge man first and last. I am an Englishman first and last. What I have achieved, what I intend to achieve is for my family, my university, and my country. You know, gentle, you know, gentlemen, you yearn for victory just as I do, but achieved with the apparent effortlessness of God's. I believe in the pursuit of excellence, and I'll carry the future with me. And I really um, appreciated the way that uh, almost when his patriotism was called into into question, whether that be he because of his Jewish background or not, I thought uh, his the power in his statement and really putting his foot down and saying no, much as Liddell did uh, later in the movie uh, as well. So with. Um, Abrams, he was a person who needed direction, but when the professional um, innovative coach arrived, he, he took he took direction, and he utilized the information, and he, he fully embraced the training techniques, utilized the information because part of Musabini's a large part of Musabini's approach was a psychological approach to get inside the head of your um, your opponent to understand not to not to turn them, but to understand where their weaknesses might be. And for the weakness of the American sprinter uh, who had won the um, Charlie Paddock, who'd won in in 1920, it was that he leapt across the finish line. And if you've ever raced, you know you're told never to leap because when you leap, you slow down and you want to drive with your feet. And Abrams learned to drive and lean into the tape. So that was sort of the technical approach uh, that allowed him to, to become the transformational leader. Well, it comes up again and again, the, um, the need as a leader to recognize your weak point and when to reach out and get help. And for Abrahams, it was only after he had lost and was at that low point that he was willing to consider um, reaching out that way. Um, now, I would argue that for him, running also served the higher purpose of helping to defeat anti-Semitism in order to smooth his path into English society, which I mean, arguably is a less noble goal than the Dells. But you know, I think I think to him, for him also, running was was a means to a larger purpose. And I think he finally realized that at the end, although. Uh, one of the you know powerful scenes at the end of the movie was when he and Sam got drunk after the uh, after the race, and he wasn't with his teammates. Nevertheless, it was a celebration of what he and Sam had created together. And Sam uh, Musabini, played by Ian Holm, was for me as equally a fascinating uh, character. 
And part of it was because uh, obviously he had the technical skills to coach, but what he had to do was give Harold Abrams confidence. And he had to get inside his head to uh, have him overcome the demons he had to run uh, as at his highest level of his capability, which he did in the finals of the 24 Olympics. So um, being able to understand what the people working for you, your students, whatever they might be called, uh, need is a huge um, plus for any business leader. And we certainly saw that with Sam Musabiti. Yeah. Well, I thought this was a fascinating movie. I'm really glad that um, I got a chance to see it again. I hadn't seen it in years. And I think it has really held up well. It remains a, a gorgeously filmed movie. Um, an interesting uh, look at a historical period that is long, long, long. Um, but anyway, I recommend it to you all. And, and I would just add, Richard, that for uh, uh, the other thing that struck me was the period pieces and the information it communicated about that time at that point in English society. And obviously, or the one that probably s has stuck with me the most and struck me the most when I first saw it was when Abrams arrived at Cambridge and yes. he got off the train and his bags were portered by two obviously retired uh, army uh, infantrymen, non-officers, and one had had to have his face blown off. Yeah. And uh, they were still mates. They were still hanging together. And the one who uh, had not been as severely injured, at least outwardly, said to the other, you know, we fought this war for people like him. And when I first saw that, I thought he was saying it in scorn towards either, at that point, I guess I hadn't realized the anti-Semitism. I thought it was just a, a upper class, lower class. But then in rewatching this movie for this podcast, I thought uh, maybe he was trying to communicate that's why we fought the war to end all wars. Yeah. Uh, and then the second point was when they had their inaugural dinner at uh, Cassie's College, when they appointed the uh, all-male student body to the list of uh, Cambridge men killed in the war. Right. And you saw the human toll of what it, it did to the United Kingdom and, as the Brits would say, our million dead from World War One. So just those sorts of pieces showed where British society was, even in 1924. Um, and uh, for as much as you and I like history, we love to see those little tidbits that really bring history to the fore. Yeah. No, it's, it's a well-made movie. I highly recommend it. And I'm, I'm pleased how many leadership lessons we were able to extract from it. Well, until next time, is Richard Lummis and Tom Fox with 12 O'Clock High. This is Paris Fox again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.